This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Well, let me share with you a few pieces of information that have just come down the pike via the news. National Archives, the American National Archives has gone woke. The National Archives that has slapped slapped a harmful language alert now on its archives capital, on its archives catalog, I might say. The warning applies to all documents in the website, quote, including the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence, unquote. Now, you may not have realized that the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence was very dangerous to the minds and hearts of Americans. But according to the National Archives, it very well may be. The threats suggesting view of those founding documents could be, as they said, harmful or difficult. Now, whether you know it or not, the National Archives actually records the span of the history of our country, and uh, the question, of course, would then relied, uh, be what does the American Constitution need trigger warnings? The National Archives now wants to work with, quote, diverse communities to impose sensitivity on their documentation. In fact, in June of this year, the National Archives Racism Task Force claimed that the Archives Rotunda, which houses founding documents, is an example of structural racism. They pushed to include trigger warnings around the displays of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, all which are in the Rotunda. Now, the founding documents of our country, the United States of America, are now subject to a nameless, faceless, federal government bureaucracy that has not only believed in the constitutional right to determine working with staff, communities, and peer institutions to decide what constitutes offensive, outdated, biased, offensive, and possibly violent views and opinions, and as a result to establish standards and policies to prevent future harmful language, but also that it seems and claims it's qualified to do that. Now, that's one. Let's try this one. The Los Angeles Police Department officers, they've been instructed by their chief to collect social media usernames of everyone they stop, including people who are not arrested or accused of a crime. So if the police want to, they can just stop anybody. And what are they after? Well, along with usual information, they're after your name and date of birth, but... They're also looking to record your Facebook site, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media accounts. Really? Why would they want to do that? Is this the role of government? In addition, yesterday, in the birth city of America, Richmond, Virginia, General Robert E. Lee was beheaded. Yes, he was. He was beheaded. His statue, 21 
what is it, not 21, but 12 tons major sitting over Monument Avenue, one of the preeminent streets in the capital of the former Commonwealth of Virginia, or the, the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia, actually was cut in half. In other words, he was beheaded, claiming that he was too big to handle. And so now, not only has Robert E. Lee been removed, but every other leader, some of the greatest leaders, and actually uh, some of the most moral leaders in the history of the country, such as Robert E. Lee and uh, Stonewall Jackson, have all been removed. I wonder when they'll remove the name Monument Avenue. All of that by action of government, the governor of Virginia. And then finally, Mr. Biden, our current putative president, is politicizing America's military schools with firings. He has unleashed a wave of demands for resignations and firings of leaders appointed to serve and advise at America's military schools, demanding that they must adopt his values in order to be qualified to serve in America's military. He's actually ordered 11 former officials to leave their appointed positions on military service academy advisory boards or face firing. They're not aligned with his values, they said, or he said. Well, what are his values? All you have to do is listen to him. Look what he's done with Afghanistan. But friends, these are the manifestations of what are called big government. And this is America's big government. This is the big government we love to hate. And so today on Viewpoint, we have a fascinating program for you, as if those pieces of information were not stark enough for your uh, mental sanity. Today on Viewpoint, we're joined by James Payne. He has written a book called The Big Government We Love to Hate, He says there are reasons for our political malaise, but on the back of his book, he asks an interesting question. Is government our savior? Is government our savior? I think about that for a moment. Is government your savior? Then what do we expect of government? Do we expect too much? How is it we have come to this place of such expectation? Is our Savior, government, destined to destroy us? To disappoint us? Or will we continue to cast our care and all of our responsibility upon it? Today on Viewpoint, James Payne with his book, The Big Government Will Have to Hate. James, it's good to have you on the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, Chuck. These are extraordinary times. Uh, Government has always come under heat uh, throughout the world. We have a long history of uh, various kinds of government, dictatorships, monarchy, and so on. Just this week, we had a film that came out, uh, advertised to the max, uh, that really, at its foundation, was designed to undermine the monarchy of, uh, of the UK, of Britain. And uh, it seems that government is under attack, and yet, at the same time, people are crying more and more for big government. How can that possibly be? Right. That is the uh, paradox that I try to explain. Uh, 
starts with uh, there is just a very powerful human uh, tradition going back thousands of years uh, to look to government as really the uh, uh, authority of the tribe, mm-hmm. a spokesman for the tribe, and to revere the tribe, uh, and therefore to revere government, mm-hmm. and to put it on a pedestal. And that goes all the way back to biblical times. Uh, so that that's something that's uh, factored very deeply in the human experience. In well, we want to pick up on that after this break and uh, kind of take a, a journey through history a little bit here, going all the way back, as you say, to biblical times. Uh, government is with us. Is it our servant or our master? We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The big government we love to hate. Here on Viewpoint today, we're talking about that. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And by the way, the more we talk about the government, we talk about ourselves. Because in reality, in this country, it isn't a government they. According to the Constitution, it's a government we. So we have installed the big government we love to hate. Now that itself seems pretty strange, doesn't it? Well, let's talk with our guest here today, James Payne, concerning how strange that might be. We talk about a democracy. We don't really have a democracy. We have a republic. But do you see much of the we-ness in government today? Uh, Well, not superficially, at least. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, everybody is disagreeing, of course. But there is a deep, uh, if you ask uh, most people, I would say it's up around 80 or 90 percent of the population, whether government should address some next big problem uh, that is coming up in the media, uh, overwhelming majorities will assume, yes, of course it should. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's a, that's an assumption or a presumption uh, whichever yeah. you want to call it, and you know what they say about those who assume. Uh, it says something about those who do assume, and it's not pretty. Uh, right. Why do we make that kind of assumption? Well, it, it's something built in very deep, going back thousands of years. Little children have it. Uh, I asked my daughter uh, when she was just you know growing up, just becoming about five years old, and uh, understanding the meaning of money, uh, not as more than just pennies, but as a source of value. I said, Ellen, should government give money to poor people who don't have any? And she thought really hard about this, because uh, the first time any concept before, and she screamed and said, yes, because he has a $1,000. <laughs> okay, so, and I hadn't, I hadn't said any, I mean, I was, 
political science, but I hadn't said a word to her about government. Well, isn't that interesting? But, Apparently, she had been watching too many Robin Hood movies. Yeah, she absorbed it from the culture that government is the savior. Uh, and the first impulse is that government can fix anything, mm-hmm. put anything right that seems to be wrong. And that, I say, goes way, way back and very, very deep, so that even people that are saying very conservative-sounding things and criticizing government a great deal, uh, it turns out that when you turn next to some policy thing they want done, they will assume government can do it right for them. Mm-hmm. For them. Uh, and this was, the, by the way, this is founding fathers. They, they have a reputation of being a sort of a favor of limited government, and mm-hmm. it's true on some level. But uh, if you look closely, uh, when there was anything they thought ought to be done, they had no doubt that government could take care of it. Uh, and by the way, Jefferson, who is a pretty strident uh, sort of limited government, uh, spokesman. He's the father of government-funded, government-enforced primary, secondary, and university education in America. It's well, he also uh, uh, acted to make sure that the Bible was present uh, among all of the Indian tribes uh, early on in our government. Well, again, that was again. You're you saying government is good agency for transmitting Christianity? Well, uh, you know, if you, if you, like me, you finally re- realize government is not a very effective rational agency, then there's no function, no matter how desirable it is, that you ought to uh, entrust to government. And yet the Bible itself, God in the Bible ordains government, uh, he doesn't repudiate government in and of itself. And we're, the great apostle Paul tells us in the book of uh, Romans chapter 13 that government is our the minister of good to us, and therefore yeah, we ought to submit to government. Right. That's, the deep, that's how deep and far back it goes. Calvin, for example, you get quotes there about how rulers are to be obeyed and worshipped. But these rulers, see, they were enforcing John Calvin's Ideas like he didn't think people ought to wear colored dresses, mm-hmm. and he put you in jail uh, if you did. And government ran that program. Yeah. Well, he also uh, uh, what was it? Cut off the head and burned at the stake. Savarnabella, well, who uh, uh, disagreed with his viewpoint, and so I, you know I, he right. wanted a kind of government, but in reality, even though purportedly it was to be a strongly Christian government, it was tyrannical. Right. And I don't think in the long run served the cause of Christianity. Exactly. Because of the attitudes ultimately that were surrounding it. So, in in all honesty, uh, James, government is good in and of itself. It's needed in and of itself. But what is it? To what extent should uh, government be allowed in our lives, if we had any position to allow it at all, and uh, why should we have it, and what should be its limitations, and do we have any choice over whether it has any limitations? Right. Well, you, you want to start with a definition of government, which right. most people today uh, hate. They, they don't want to hear this. 
because it requires obedience by definition. No, no. Let me. In fact, you go around asking people, is government based on force? Uh, it turns out most people will hum and haw and they'll shift their weight from foot to foot mm-hmm. and evade that. They do not want answers. The answer is very, very clear and simple. Yes, of course, obviously. In other words, That's, you must obey or else. Yeah, government, another way of putting it, government, the definition of government is that the agency that manages the public use of physical force. Isn't uh, that an interesting definition? Yeah. I mean, the crooks break in privately, uh, you know, secretly. But the government publicly comes with the police to your door and says, "You're, we're taking you to jail because you didn't pay taxes or you didn't pay this regulation." Or something. So, government is the agency that applies the public use of physical force. Uh, but th- what's happened is there's a long trend, uh, by the way, on this, on physical force. Uh, the early humanity was very much deeply uh, embedded in it, and uh, respected it, and liked it, and uh, all the and you see it in the biblical uh, thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that force was a very people thought it was a very good idea. Uh, okay, well we have understood that it's not it's not healthy, uh, and I guess you could say that Jesus' statement is one of the big turning points in the history on this, his observation that those who live by the sword die by the sword. Mm-hmm. That is a very revolutionary idea at right. the time. And even today, if you tell it to the Taliban and so forth, uh, they think it's heresy. Well, he didn't uh, He didn't turn against government, though. Jesus didn't. Uh, no. Well, he didn't speak against government, but oh, he did right. in... Uh, kind of obliquely in Matthew 23 when he uh, excoriated the religious government uh, of Judaism, uh, calling them whited sepulchers and full of dead men's bones. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christians are approaching it, uh, and various uh, uh, sects, for instance, uh, 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 the Mennonites especially, mm-hmm. uh, but there have been other sects that have, have picked up and said, wait a minute, Jesus did preach nonviolence, which means Government's use of violence isn't right either, uh, and but they were since the church embraced government, the Catholic Church embraced government 100 mm-hmm. percent, uh, and used its soldiers and so forth to punish heretics and slay them. Uh, so the church had embraced government for a long time, and that's why uh, you don't get in mainstream Christianity the questioning of government that you got. In very like the Cathari was another uh, sect around mm-hmm. 1100 A.D., uh, but they were considered a her- heresy, and they were suppressed by murdering them uh, because they thought violence was a bad idea. Well, ultimately, somewhere between 40 and 65 million uh, human beings lost their lives at the hand of uh, uh, popish government. Yeah, well, sure, religious persecution. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. All right. But, the yeah. the point is not here to come against government itself, but how should government be constituted, what are its limitations, and even more important, I think, James, is why do we as human beings feel from deep inside, why do we look 
to government to be our provider, our healer, our redeemer, our high tower, our shelter in the time of storm, our savior, our hope for the future, all the things that the Bible ascribes to God and to Jesus Christ, we ascribe to government. Right, right. Well, I say it's a very deep cultural presumption. Uh, By the way, a parallel for it, uh, to show you how deep it is and how long it takes to overcome, is the belief in the inferiority of women. Uh, That goes back thousands of years, uh, and it... uh, you know, it's in many, all many, I guess, all cultures, uh, and uh, you know, women are not supposed to write novels and so forth, uh, and uh, they're they're just inferior. And where did that come from? And the answer is, it's very deep. There are a lot of bits and pieces. Obviously, women bear children; mm-hmm. and they nurture children, so that is one element of it. And they physically aren't as big and strong, so that was part of it. And so forth. But anyway, it got swept up into a cultural presumption that was very hard to break. But it has broken down. Uh, the first person to really question it uh, was back in about uh, 1790. Uh, and uh, then you had the suffragettes and so forth. Uh, and it has broken down. And that's what it is with government. It's starting to be questioned. And the people we call libertarians uh, are the ones who are really getting to the bottom of questioning it. And today they seem, uh, most people find them a little distasteful uh, and so forth. They get 2% of the vote when you have an election mm-hmm. uh, because they uh, say most of us, uh, everybody else, uh, really want still to worship government. Remember, we have these big monuments, marble monuments there in Washington, and we have the 4th of July and all these things. Uh, that we want to embrace as part of our culture. And that's all part of the faith in government. All right. Well, the uh, book is called The Big Government We Love to Hate, and uh, it's yours for $10. I'm surprised that it's only $10, but it's over 200 pages. $10 is going to put the book in your hands. It's a fascinating conversation with our guest today, uh, James Payne, Uh, who, by the way, has taught at Yale and Wesleyan University and Johns Hopkins and Texas A&M, has authored 21 books, including works on Congress, taxation, welfare policy, and the motivation of politicians, the history of force. uh, His articles appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe. uh, And uh, so it's interesting. He has ideas and thoughts that are worthy of our consideration, whether or not you agree with everything that he says, there is something probing about this book, something that probes into our deep, the deepest recesses of our minds and hearts, and I think it's worthy of our consideration. Forget about the issue concerning women and all of that. That's a, a corollary or a parenthetical to the... Uh, the real issue here. The real issue here is trust. What do we trust? Why do we trust government? And why is it, while complaining and hating government or big government, we want more of it? Why is that? 
And in the second half of the program, uh, perhaps I'm going to throw our guest a curve, but I'm going to ask you the question, why is it if we think somehow we're modifying big government and trying to bring everything down to a lower, more individualistic level, why is it then that the world is clamoring for a global government? That's where it's heading. That's where it's heading, friends. So this is worthy of our conversation here today on Viewpoint. The big government we would love to hate, $10 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll get this provocative book in your hands. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of government? I'm not asking our guests now. I'm asking you, my dear listeners, what is the purpose of government? Is government intended to be our provider, our protector? What is it designed to be? I believe that the fundamental purpose of government is to be to protect the people from enemies, foreign and domestic. That's its purpose. That's its fundamental purpose. Now, if you want to talk about establishing uh, coinage and things like that that are kind of universal uh, within a country or within a state, that type of thing, it could include that so that you're not abusing one another in uh, commerce. But protecting against enemies, foreign and domestic. That would include a police force. That would include protecting us against criminals and against those who would steal and kill and destroy and maim. But providing? Is government to be our ultimate provision? Is it to be our supplier? Is it to be our healer? Or are those responsibilities left to the people, we the people? That's the question. And where does the word trust come in to the mix? You see, this may be more, in fact, it is much more than a political issue. This is a spiritual issue at its root. At its root because it goes to the issue of trust. What do we trust? 
Who can actually save you? Can government save you? Can your next president save you? Let's suppose that uh, those who are unhappy with uh, uh, Mr. Biden would re-elect Donald Trump or someone else. Would he be able to save you? No. No. No human being can save us. They might be able to provide for a period of four years some redirection, some hope, but not save us. Ultimately, things are going to devolve down. Deviancy devolves down. Why is that? Because human beings are fundamentally sinful. That's why it continues to devolve down. And that's exactly why John Adams, our second president, said our government was made for a moral and uh, religious or, or Christian people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That's what he said. Robert Winthrop said, we will either be governed by a power without, in other words, by brute force, or by a power within, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. It seems to me, uh, James, that when we really start talking about the depths of government and uh, the power of government and where we put our hope, where we put our trust and so on, we need to consider those kinds of issues which are almost never brought up anymore because, well, we just don't want to because we kind of, well, as you say, yeah, government the big government gotten, we love to hate. Yeah, it's, it's gotten so involved in everything that we can't ask it. You put it very well, by the way, that, that probably the elementary function of government is the control of violence. Uh, the initiation of violence, e- either by foreign uh, entities, governments, mm-hmm. uh, or domestic uh, criminal, what we call criminals, but that is people who use violence, uh, breaking and entering, killing, that kind of thing, physical force. Uh, but many people don't draw a line between people who use violence and someone else who is doing something wrong or impolite that they think shouldn't be done. Uh, Like, say, an employer is paying his workers $2 an hour. Uh, That is not a use, the employer is not using force there against workers. That's a voluntary relation. The worker can walk away and say, I don't want your job. But uh, people will not distinguish between that, the employer's paying of a low wage, let's say, and somebody using a knife or a gun against another. So they call for government to like fix anything that seems to be wrong to them, mm-hmm. not just uh, somebody using force. So even though you voluntarily entered into it. So yeah. uh, then we have national government promoting union government, as our president did yesterday, calling for the unions to get stronger and stronger because he thinks they're going to make him stronger and stronger to force employers to do his will. And this this is what happens. Big government is not just federal government. It's now pervaded every aspect of American mind, heart, and life, hasn't it? Right. Well, but one thing that comes out of this, by the way, is incessant conflict Mm -hmm. uh, just swirling around that drives people crazy. Uh, and the, the 
explosion of media has made this uh, more and more possible. And that's where the hate part comes, that we understand that government, what it's trying to do is so big and so complicated uh, that you can't really get a handle on it and direct it anywhere. It just becomes this kind of swirling arena of argument, uh, which I think in the long run, in the very long run, is going to bring down the reputation of government until uh, we will less and less look to it to solve problems. Well, I that's exactly what's happening in the in the United States. I, well, I think we're heading there. We're we're right at about the peak of the biggest government, but uh, uh, I say I think the disgrace of government is now reaching uh, great heights. Right, that's what I'm talking about. So uh, we have uh, a country that. Uh, has been called the greatest, most powerful country in the history of the world, and that was uh, at least seen as a force for moral good, notwithstanding uh, wicked or evil people that were in the country. And now we have a situation where worldwide, our country, even in the last 30 days, has lost such esteem, such rapport, such seeming force for good that now the world is felt greatly weakened. They cannot trust us. They trusted us and a government. Now the people of the United States, they're realizing, don't trust their own government. Neither can foreigners trust America. And so the whole expectation of trust in government is breaking down worldwide. I think so, although it varies. You see, uh, some countries, and this historically all countries, practiced uh, a very high degree of repression mm-hmm. of criticism so that uh, you, you, if you killed the critic before he could say very many words... Well, that's what's happening. We call it cancel culture. That's exactly uh, no, what's happening not, today. No, 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 you're not... You see, that's different because we're not killing people we're not putting them in jail oh we're, we're causing them to lose their jobs they can't get employed they can't uh, well, these get... are these are voluntary relations if i if i want a job <laughs> no really uh yeah it's it's something to argue about and be upset about but it's it's uh, happening in the what we might call the sort of public media culture mm-hmm. uh it's not government government is not putting you in jail uh, if you're, say, running a company and say, I won't hire workers who say this or that, that's your privilege as an owner of that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's understandable. You can, we, I, I would say, hey, that's pretty stupid, but that's what he's doing. But what's happening uh, is the government now has adopted big business because of its interconnectedness with big business for power and therefore has adopted big business and the media as their extension arm for enforcement. So it really is an extension of government, and it is a form of violence. Well, be careful about using the form of violence. You do want to draw a strong, clear line, because otherwise it gets uh, sort of uh, more and more open to doing anything you know, that you disagree with. Uh, that's exactly the point. Really, keep it to physical force, shedding blood, knives, and so forth. Yeah. 
but as I was saying, you were saying worldwide, uh, the opinion of government's going down. It, it certainly is in places like Britain, and we've been measuring it uh, in polls. But uh, countries like that practice more repression still, like China, mm-hmm. you go to jail if you get up and say the rulers are stupid. You, you, they put you in jail. They're not killing you as they used to. But uh, there's a lot of repression. Unless you're in North Korea, they'll put you in an acid basket <laughs> and dissolve well, no, your other, very yeah, essence. Well, Saudi Arabia is the most backward one, and they killed Khashoggi, you mm-hmm. know, journalist. And uh, uh, so anyway, these more in Russia, by the way, is another one of these that uh, you, you don't have the freedom to criticize the government that we have mm-hmm. and have had. So that the opinion of government isn't so tainted because people haven't heard the negative uh, stories. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're getting to that another 20, 50 years uh, because uh, as I've written this one of my other books, The History of Force. There is a very powerful thousands of years old trend against the use of force. Uh, human beings are understanding that it is not a healthy foundation for uh, human organization. Well, interestingly, we may understand that at the theoretical level, but at the practical level, it keeps reoccurring in spite of the utopian ideas that we're not going to do that anymore. So we, <laughs> we've got a situation, and I think uh, your chapter 10 in your book called My Neighbor, The Future Everyone Wants, is worthy of our conversation. We're going to talk about that here uh, in the next few minutes because the reality, as you say, modern politics is trapped in a very difficult impasse. We no longer view government as a wonderful, majestic authority. We know it's riddled with shallow approaches and corruption. Uh, we can easily and calmly turn away from it because our brains hold a deep attachment to this body as society's natural and proper problem-solving agency. So our first impulse comes, from the first impulse comes the ever bigger government that we increasingly criticize. So then where do we go from there? Well, you say from there we go to our neighbor. Hmm, what does that mean? Jesus did ask, or a lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. When Joseph Biden was elected and gave his inaugural address, he talked about the common good. We hear an awful lot of people talk about the common good these days. We hear the Pope talk about the common good. The common good. But what is the common good? 
if Joe Biden's ideas for the common good were really common, why is it that today his popularity, as of yesterday, has dropped to 39%? Obviously, the majority of Americans do not believe his ideas about common good were for the common good at all. And apparently, the nations of the earth don't believe that his ideas were for the common good globally because they've completely lost hope. And actually, in Britain, one is called for Joe Biden to be court-martialed. So what is this common good anyway? Well, maybe it goes back a little bit to a woman that many love to hate, and that is called Hillary Rodham Clinton. You remember back when she uh, uh, wrote a book, It Takes a Village? She talked about it takes a village to raise a child, and a lot of people criticized that. But what was she trying to say there? What was she trying to do? Our guest today has some thoughts about that, and we're going to discuss it in the next few moments. James, uh, tell us what do you think Hillary was trying to do there? Well, she was doing two things. Uh, she was, the body of the book is uh, just running over with uh, recommendations for government programs. To Isn't that fascinating? Everything you can think of. I think I counted 112 uh, of these. But she was so trying that, to make it look like she was returning to small neighborhoods. Yeah, but she, well, it's more than that. She, under, she understood, she sensed as I think uh, everybody does, that if you got up and said, big government can save us and fix everything, people will laugh now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even though that's what she believes, because she's wedded to this presumption of government, uh, she understands that it doesn't sound good. So that's why she put the title of It Takes a Village on her book. And it caught an awful lot of people, particularly within the Democratic Party and uh, liberal thinkers, uh, and they thought, wow, this is the greatest stuff since sliced bread. But, uh, well, it was a, uh, it's an appealing image. And my point in that, and I cite several other examples, that uh, I think we, we all understand that uh, the small-scale type of approaches to problem is, is the healthiest. That is, uh, 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 what we, what's been going wrong in this problem with government, we understand that theoretically, but obviously we don't believe it in reality because we keep pleading for more government intervention. Right. right. Well, I say it's an inconsistency, but uh, I think little by little we are going to move away. I think, by the way, for a uh, Biden is unpopular because uh, uh, he's just going ahead with the big government stuff. Uh, I think Reagan was maybe the first president to start striking the right note of to say, uh, you know, government isn't the answer, folks. Yes, we're going to have programs, and we're not going to close anything real quick. But you've got to look more and more to yourselves, your communities, your friends and neighbors to deal with things. Government isn't the answer. And I say, I think he started uh, striking the right note, and I I'm expecting future presidents will sense that and, and also strike that. And instead of saying, yeah, we're going to solve everything, uh, saying, uh, you know, government isn't the answer. All right. You're expecting that, you said? Yeah. I th- I or think are you hoping it. that? 
Well, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> it's a little Because blurred. if you're really expecting that, may I be so polite as to say you're living in a fool's paradise. Well, remember, Bill Clinton. Remember human nature. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, there are trends in these things, like going back to the women example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, If you had, were in like eight, 1900 and somebody was saying, well, I think women, you know, will eventually get the right to vote and the right to work and so forth, and somebody said, oh, that's wishful thinking. Well, after 100 years, they did. Yeah, they and even so, got a right to enter the Oval Office with Bill Clinton. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, I think I think the another measure I uh, point to that the whole libertarian point of view, which is really deeply questioning government mm-hmm. at its roots, uh, didn't exist. The first guy that I can find that did it was Richard Goodwin uh, in 1793. Uh, and he was the only. My one. goodness, you're older than I thought. <laughs> and uh, and it was only it, and he was the only one. And then it took another half a century before you got a handful of just a dozen or so people like Henry David Thoreau is a name some people recognize uh, uh, there. That is, this has been a very very tiny, uh, minuscule point of view, and now it's grown until uh, it's quite a movement there probably 50 or 60 libertarian think tanks around the country. All right, so how would uh, you distinguish uh, between what we today call a liberal and a conservative? Well, that, I, I, I think they both embrace uh, the government as the solver of problems. Mm-hmm, I agree. Uh, they tend to, like what conservatives see, uh, many of the economic problems that uh, government does more harm than good. Mm-hmm. They aren't for those. But like something, most conservatives are for what's called public education, right. which is tax-funded, coercively supported, and so forth. Which was spawned by a godless humanist uh, set of guys back in the mid-1800s. Well, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but uh, uh, so anyway, conservatives, so like in on something like uh, uh, drugs, for example, should government regulate drugs? Uh, I think most people call themselves conservatives say, uh, yes, it should. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the other, the third category, what we call libertarian, are people that have really reached the uh, understanding that government really isn't a very wise, responsible, problem-solving agent mm-hmm. for anything. Even if it's something that needs to be done, like I don't think people should do drugs, but can government prevent it and make it better? I don't think so. Apparently not. At least, yeah. Uh, well, looking at the history is a good of things. example of this. People, I agree. People overuse alcohol and it's terrible, and people lose their jobs and beat up their wives when they're drunk and so forth. So alcoholism is a problem. Well, because uh, because alcohol actually was so universally accepted. And because, uh, you know, you didn't want to mess with the money that would come into government coffers. When are you talking about? (laughs) Prohibition, the majorities wanted that. They thought it was a good idea. Well, I know. To have government uh, outlaw it and police arrest anybody who made it or sold it. Uh, And as we found out, it didn't stop it and it corrupted Mm -hmm. and so forth. 
So finally we said that was a bad idea. Yeah, so that, if, if uh, marijuana is a bad idea, well, if you can't beat them, join them, so make it legal so we can tax them. Well, right. And, yeah, here's the, here's the uh, problem. Uh, government is also seen as an authority expressing right and wrong, okay? Uh, and I think here we've got to get around this problem. Yeah, when you say, I'm going to legalize marijuana, it sounds like you're endorsing it, saying, yeah, people should use it. And, and there ought to be two levels here. One is that government is not going to use force to prevent people from messing with it. But government, you know, Congress can pass a, a, a resolution saying mm-hmm. we think it's unhealthy and unwise and we urge Americans not to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we ought to do on a lot of these moral issues. Yeah. Well, I, I can agree with that. Separate now, I, out the force from the statement of what we uh, advise and yeah. urge. Of course, uh, in the law, I spent 20 years as a trial lawyer in California there, uh, before I started this 26 years ago. And uh, we have a term in the law called force or threat of force. So not it's not just force, it's the threat of force. And that's one of the things that cancel culture does. It doesn't just force people, it actually intimidates the majority well, make sure because of fear physical. of force. No, no, make sure you have physical force in there. Uh, not just somebody saying you're, we're not going to buy your magazine or we're not going to give you a job, something like that. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying there. I mean, Harvard has the right, it seems to me, as a private institution, to admit whatever they want. Asians or admit mm-hmm. blacks, reject blacks, or anything they want to do. Yeah. Uh, I could criticize that. I'll write a letter to the editor and stuff. But we shouldn't bring force, policemen, guns, that stuff, right. to bear to make them do what we want. So in other words, uh, segreg- uh, integration was absolutely contrary to the true role of government because it used force to compel people to do what otherwise at least many well, thought to be a moral be, be, issue. I'll be careful. Uh, segregation is the use of force to prevent someone, in this case, uh, say, a black person, from eating at a certain restaurant. If he does, the police come and arrest him. That's the use of force. Okay. So that's segregation. How, how about the like, integration aspect, though? If you just say we abolish segregation, in other words, government will not use its force, uh, okay, to prevent blacks from eating here, there, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. However, if an owner, uh, if I say I don't want to serve blacks, you're not admitted here, and that's my personal decision, uh, then you have to have an affirmative action. Right. Uh, government using force to force me. Okay. So That's affirmative action then was force or threat of force to compel private institutions to do what uh, the government wanted them to That's do. Un- That's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Yeah, exactly. Government so, should, they sh- again, they should have done it in terms of the moral thing. They should have passed a resolution saying, uh, everybody's equal. We urge all businessmen and so forth mm-hmm. to treat everybody equally. Yeah. But we're not going to use force for it. I agree. I agree. That's okay. I, I want to just finish up with this. I might just have to make a statement. And that is, uh, you say that big government of today is not likely to be wound down in an orderly, efficient way. We're likely to experience some painful crises. 
But in the midst of the confusion, people will reach out to informal systems to displace the inoperative or dysfunctional government arrangements. Well, there is some sense in which that's happening. For instance, the COVID force that is being impelled upon the people by the federal government and its uh, Fauci arm uh, has actually ultimately caused an increase of homeschooling by 100% just in a year and a half. But, well, the whole field of education is a good example of this. Exactly. Now, the, the, yeah. the, the bigger issue here is that as we become more and more disenchanted with our own big government, and the world itself is becoming more and more disenchanted with its own big governments, ultimately, the populace of the world is devolving now into a cry for an even bigger government. It's called the Great Reset. The Great Reset is a euphemism for a one-world government. And uh, Klaus Schwab, head of the new the uh, uh, World Economic Forum, declared uh, right after Joe Biden uh, declared that uh, you're going, you're not going to own anything by 2030, and you'll be happy about it. Is that force or threat of force? What would you call that? Uh, I don't. I think your idea uh, on the world government, I don't. Uh, I've been researching this. Uh, the trend, actually, for a couple hundred years is to smaller and smaller units. Not now. Uh, Not well, now. It, Not uh, now. You need to listen to this program a little longer, and you'll get, you fact, will get. Britain's pulling out of the common market is an example of that, and Scotland pulling out of Britain is another example of that. So, yeah. I understand uh, what you're saying. There's a give and a take back and forth, but this is the inevitable movement of the world, and the Bible foretells it. There's a lot of talk about it, and it's, but it's up in the air, and it's yeah. kind of vague. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be very concrete or effective. Ten bucks. The big government we love to hate. Fascinating conversation with James Payne. And uh, it's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. The O-Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.